Good morning, church. Man, what a great opportunity to be here with the family of God this morning and lift Jesus Christ's name on high for all he's done for us. We celebrate him this morning, do we not? We've gathered around the Lord's table together and celebrated his death, burial, resurrection, and now we're going to dig into the word of God to discover best how we're called to live in this life, giving him glory in all, absolutely all things. This morning we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I hope you've got your Bibles this morning. We'll be there in just a few moments. Our text will be on the screen. We'll start out in Romans chapter 7 just briefly, uh, but our text, our main text will be in 1 Corinthians uh, this morning. As we continue into this uh, third week, the series that we're calling Weird. And you might ask this morning, why use that title? Why use that name? And it's because of this church that you and I are called to a different life than the world wants us to live out. And so the way that we talk with people, the way that we interact with people, the way that we look at the world, events around us, and interact in those moments, sometimes the world looks at the way that we act trying to replicate and look like Jesus. They think, that's kind of weird. But I don't know about you, but I'm ready to be called weird for Jesus Christ and his glory. Amen? I don't know about you, but I love being weird for Jesus. That's kind of weird to say, but anyway, that's where it is this morning. I'm excited to dig into the Word of God again to discover how we're called to live out uh, the life that God's called us to live in Jesus Christ this morning. That first week, two weeks ago that we were together, we talked about living out in our purpose, and that was everyday life purpose. We're called to look like Jesus no matter where we find ourselves. Last week, we talked about surrendering everything to Jesus Christ and leaning into His story for us. Today, we're going to talk about being disciplined And having discipline over feeling regret. You and I are called to live this disciplined life in Jesus Christ, knowing that he lives within us, and doing so makes all things new in our life. We're different people because the Holy Spirit lives within us. And so Paul's going to challenge us this morning to live that discipline-type life out each and every day. Well, we started two or three weeks ago and asked this question, then who are we? And it's this idea that you and I are the sum total of all the decisions that we've ever made in life, good, bad, or indifferent. We currently are the sum total of all the decisions that we've ever made in life. And the decisions that you make today will affect the person that you will become tomorrow. And so you and I, as we lean into the life that God's called us to live in his son, Jesus Christ, we want to imitate him in every way. We want to look like Jesus in our life, and we're called to do just that. But this morning, I have a newsflash for you, and it may be something you may already know or may not, but life is going to be full of pain. Welcome to Crosspoint. 
I know you wanted some encouragement this morning, but that's just the truth about life. It's going to be painful. We're, we're promised that in Scripture. Some moments we live out pain that was not a fault of our own. And sometimes we live out pain that we were part of the cause of that pain. But here is the beauty of living in Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us in John chapter 16 and verse 33, this text. He says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Now, church, you can make a decision to follow Jesus Christ or you can go it on your own. Either way, there's going to be pain. However, with Jesus Christ in your life, there will be peace in the process. He goes on to say, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And church, because we allow Jesus Christ to take over our life, we fully surrender to him. You and I also can overcome the world because of the power of the spirit. But there may be opportunities in your life where you've experienced pain that was not of your own making. Maybe there was a relationship in your life that went south. It was a best friend. It was someone that was close to you at work. Maybe it was even a marriage that just didn't work out. For whatever reason, maybe not of your own fault, they decided to go a different direction and you experienced pain in that moment. Maybe in your own life, you have experienced the death of a close family member or a close friend. And in that moment, you've experienced some pain that was no cause of your own. Maybe the company that you've worked for decided to downsize, and not because of a poor work ethic on your part or the fact that you didn't bring anything to the table, wasn't anything to do with that. They let you go, and in that moment, you experienced pain, no cause of your own. You have lived life out. You're walking with other people on the journey, but for whatever reason, maybe they decide to drag your name through the mud. They start bringing false accusations against you that are absolute lies, and you experience pain from your tarnished reputation, no fault of your own. There are moments in our life, church, where we experience pain that we really had nothing to do with. On the other hand, we're part of pain sometimes that we had everything to do with. You can experience the pain of your parents' discipline today or the consequences of not obeying your parents tomorrow. There's going to be pain. Maybe it's the the pain of discipline of studying for the test today versus retaking the test that you didn't study for in two weeks. There's going to be some pain in that process as well. Maybe you have made a decision to be disciplined and live within your means, but if you haven't, then you're going to experience the pain of a truckload of debt tomorrow. There are moments where you and I have made decisions in our life that have caused us pain. And this morning, we want to listen to Paul as he calls us to choose the pain of discipline over the pain of regret in our life. To lean into the idea of the pain of discipline over the pain of regret. I saw it written one time, read it, that discipline truly is choosing between what you want now over what you want most. Choosing between what you want now versus what you want most. And discipline really is all about that very idea. Choosing what you want now over what you want most. 
Paul, the apostle, was well-versed in discipline. He understood that process. If there was anyone that had it together in the Christian walk, it would be the apostle Paul. You see all the great work that he did. He started out early in life being trained to be a religious leader in Jerusalem. He was going to be at the top of the hill, if you will. He actually pursued that first century church, having people put to death or imprisoned. He was pursuing that idea and had been disciplined in the art of fulfilling what he thought was God's plan until finally he's on the road to Damascus and he has a face-to-face supernatural encounter with Jesus Christ. And in that moment, Jesus asked him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he answers, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I am Jesus Christ whom you persecute. We know the rest of the story. He goes on to find Ananias, becomes a baptized believer, a firm believer in who Jesus Christ is as the Messiah, and begins to start his missionary journeys around the Mediterranean rim, establishing churches. Paul was a disciplined man. He wrote some 13 of the 27 books we have in the New Testament, established all of those churches that we read about in the New Testament. He he was a guy that had it all together. However, I don't know about you, but when I read Paul's story, I find hope for my own story because Paul admits that he doesn't have it all together. He doesn't have it figured out. As disciplined as he is, he still doesn't make all the time great choices. But we lean into the story of Jesus Christ to better understand how those wrong choices are covered. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, beginning verse 15, He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. That it's because of Jesus Christ that you and I can keep moving forward in our story. That Jesus Christ is the reason we can mess up in life and yet have still forgiveness, mercy, grace, compassion sent our way. The answer is Jesus Christ in me. It's not that I have to be better or stronger. It's that Jesus Christ is better and stronger in me. In the power of Jesus Christ, we proclaim that we're empowered to make better decisions in life. Our text this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 24, where Paul calls us to attention as followers of Christ. He wants to make a point not only to that first century church, but to us today as well. And he says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. Run to win. Paul wants us to run the race, but run in such a way that we're running to win the prize. When I was in high school, football was my sport. I loved playing football. But there was always an off-season, and I had to do something to stay in shape in the off-season, and so I ran track or attempted to run track. Wasn't very good at it, but stayed in shape. 
Now, I had a unique story when it came to track in high school. I went and I did everything the coach asked. I ran every day of the week, went to practice every day of the week. Uh, sometimes coach would take us on the school bus, drop us way out in the country, and we'd have to run back to the high school. I don't know if any of you ever had that experience before. But there were lots of different things that we had to do in the course of practice throughout the course of the week. I was a runner. But did you know that I never, ever went to a track meet? Because I was so uh, unconscious or conscious, rather, about my knees. I didn't want anyone to see me run in public. Can you believe that? (laughs) I had an awkward gait, and I was like, I'm not running in front of that crowd that stands. I'm not, no, no, I'm not going to do that. So I practiced all week long and never went to a meet. I did not run to win the prize. There was a friend of mine who was a shepherd at the Stillwater Church when I worked there, uh, Mike Snyder. And at the time I was in Stillwater, he was actually a ranked tennis player uh, for his age. Did a, uh, he was really good at tennis, had taught his boys, had coached his boys tennis when they were in high school. And so uh, in, when they were in high school, he would drive the bus to the tennis tournaments and the whole team would get off and do their thing. But he always practiced and told his boys, we're here to win first place. And that's how he trained them. He told me a story once that he went to this tournament. They all got off and were there most of the day, played their tournament. His sons were were in a doubles uh, um, moment, and they ended up getting second place, big trophy. Mike was not very happy about that. He trained his boys to get first place, so he went and got on the bus, opened the door. All the kids started getting on the bus. His, His boys were the last ones to the bus. They got on with their big second place trophy, and he said, we came here to get first place. Now, you get off the bus, you go back to the judge's table, you drop that second-place trophy off, and you get back on the bus. And that's exactly what they had to do. They had to turn in their second-place trophy. Why? Because Mike said, we're here to get first place. He was running to win, and second place was not good enough. Paul, spiritually, is calling us to run the race in such a way as to win the prize. Everybody's running. But stay committed, stay focused to what God is calling us to. And so he goes on in verse 25 and he says, All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. You want to stay in good shape? And so there's a regiment involved. There's some working out involved. There are moments when you have to say no to pizza, no to donuts, There are moments when you want to stay in bed instead of getting up and hitting the pavement, running. I run three days a week. Every every other morning I get up, I run 5K. But that alarm goes off at 6 a.m. And I will promise you, every morning that alarm goes off, I have a small discussion with myself. (laughs) Do you you really want to get out? I mean, it's kind of sprinkling. Let's check the weather. I, I don't know if that's a good morning to run. It's kind of warm in the bed here. I'm kind of comfy right where I'm at. But within 30 seconds, I remind myself that I made a commitment to be disciplined, to get out and run. And so sure enough, three times a week, I get up and I do that run, even though I may not fully be, my heart might not be in it. But church, we're not running spiritually for any plastic trophy, for a medal around our neck, for some participant ribbon. Church, we're running for an eternal prize that is eternal life with our risen Savior. 
And so we run in such a way as to win that prize, giving everything, all glory to God in our life. Now, Paul, as he writes this, is writing to a church who would absolutely understand the, the message that he is sending in the verses that we've read so far. They would understand the idea of training and athletics and games. See, Corinth, the church he's writing to, is located in an isthmus. Now, that's a small land bridge between two major pieces of land. Corinth was a port city. So a lot of sailors coming in, unloading the ships, the the material would then go inland. And so you can imagine that town is also full of all the things that sailors like to do, nightlife, etc. And as you understand the culture a little bit, you can understand better why the church in Corinth had some problems, some issues that Paul was trying to help them work through. But two out of the four years, every, every four years, two of those years, they had the Ismithian Games. It's like the Olympics. And Corinth hosted those games. Now, you could choose to do one of five things, or all of them, really, if you wanted to as an athlete. They had wrestling, boxing, their version of MMA sports. They had chariot races, and they had singing and poetry. Women could enter the singing and poetry part, not the others. But athletes would train for 10 months at a time. No junk food, no alcohol, to bed early, getting up early, working out, training. They would expose themselves to extreme weather, cold and hot, so that when the time came to perform, they would be able to run in such a way as to win the prize. The church in Corinth would have absolutely seen what Paul was doing with this idea. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews, and many think that Paul was that writer, the writer says, throw off everything that hinders you and run the race ahead of you. And those that were participating in those different uh, sporting events would literally throw off everything so as not to be slowed down at all, but to run in such a way that they would win the race. They were excited about their particular chosen profession. And church, this morning, I want to encourage you, be excited and expectational when you come together as the people of God, because the Holy Spirit is in this place. When you come together on a Sunday morning or in a connect group setting or maybe a service group, a Bible class, wherever you find yourself, come with high expectation. Because the Holy Spirit is in you and wants to fill you with purpose and determination. He wants to move you in a direction maybe you've never thought about going before. Come with the idea that you're going to hear from God and that he's going to use you in his story. Church, let me tell you, following Jesus Christ is not boring. It It is an exciting journey. I wake up every day never knowing exactly what the day is going to look like because of the different things that God sends my way. And I thoroughly enjoy the idea of serving him while I'm here on earth. It's not uh, boring following God because I want transformation just like you want transformation. I mean, on a Sunday morning, we're not here just communicating information, but truth that deep down within the heart of each and every one of us is transformational. The Holy Spirit wants to do something in your life. And so this morning, on the back of your bulletin, there are some sermon notes there. The first question I want you to answer this morning for me is this. What do you want most? What do you 
want most. Now think about that for just a moment. I mean, do you you long for true love in your life? A, A life partner that could journey with you for 78 years, like we heard in our communion talk. Someone that would be by you thick and thin. True love. Do you want true peace in your life? Is that something that you want? Where you lay your head down on your pillow at night, you're not anxious about anything because you know that you're saved by the grace of God. Do you really want purpose in your life? You want the Spirit to reveal to you exactly how you're called to live and what you're supposed to be doing. Is that what you really want in life? Do you want real, deep, authentic relationship in your life from your friend group? Do you want to be debt-free? Is that something that you truly want in your life? Do you want to be really in shape physically, emotionally, mentally? Is that something you truly want in your life? I will promise you this. Discover what the one thing is in your life that you truly want. God will bless that, and then as you move to the next time, he'll continue to snowball that energy and help you accomplish the other things that you've got on your list. But what do you want most in your life? Secondly, what do you need to choose now to achieve what you want most? What is the thing you need to pick right now that will help you achieve what you want most? Maybe you're sitting there this morning thinking, you know, I truly need to be a daily Bible reader. I need to be in God's Word every single day. And so maybe the thing you need right now is a new Bible that actually has that plan of action within its pages. Maybe it's a download from something off the internet that will help you become that daily Bible reader. Maybe in your life it's, it's a decision to say, listen, I need two friends in my life who are going to hold me accountable to the things that I make promises to God for in my life. I need that accountability partner. Maybe it's I need to change my schedule in my life. I need to create margins so that I do become healthy physically, mentally, emotionally. Maybe it's a decision that, you know, I really need this deep affection in a real friend group. And so it's time for me to join a connect group, not only to get into God's word, but to discover other people I can journey in this life with. Maybe it's a decision to start serving those around you. And it's, it's a decision that says, it's time for me to discover a ministry to get involved in and to be a part of. Not just living for me, but for other people. That's what Jesus would want me to do in my life. Maybe it's a decision to say, you know what? What I need now is a better marriage. And so what I want to pursue right now is is just getting off the couch and saying, you know, every other week we're going to have a date night. Or maybe it's further down the road and you think we need to get professional counseling. If truly what you want is a great marriage, what is it now that you need to do to help you achieve that very thing? Maybe it's getting out of debt. Why? It's so that you can help maybe support a missionary or some other ministry to help others know what the message of God is calling in their own life. There are lots of different things that we might need now to achieve what we want most. And you may be sitting there this morning thinking, well, Tim, if I actually do those things, if I follow through on those things, it's going to mean sacrifice on my part and maybe even some pain. And the answer is yes, it will. It will require both. But today Paul is calling us to choose the pain of discipline over the pain of regret. The pain of discipline over the pain of regret. 
And you sitting there this morning, whether you've written it down, whether you've vocalized that, whatever you find yourself in your heart of hearts, you know exactly what you need to do to achieve what you want most in life. Because you've thought about it for days, weeks, months, maybe even years. And church, it's just time to stop thinking about it and start doing it. It's time to get off your couch and get involved in the story of God. Paul goes on in chapter 9 and verse 26. This next sentence is so incredibly important. It's life-changing. If you've got your own Bible, I would encourage you to underline it. Circle it, draw an arrow to it. Paul says, so I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. Paul says, purpose in every step. Everything I'm doing in my life is with purpose, and the purpose is to glorify God, is to give it to God. He goes on to say, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul's calling us to live a disciplined life. And let me say, church, I am with you. It is a decision every morning for me to surrender to Jesus Christ and not to say okay to Tim Hall. Every morning I get out of bed, I put my feet on the floor, and I have to recommit to the journey. I have to recommit. It's not an easy thing. Satan has all kinds of distractions for each and every one of us to pull us away from that journey. And so on my drive to work, as I've told you before, it's this idea that I say, Jesus, give me your eyes so I can see the world how you see it. Give me your ears so that those who are asking for the story of Jesus Christ, I can go to them and help tell that story. Jesus, give me your mouth so that the words that come out are only good for lifting people up and encouraging Jesus, give me your hands so that I can serve those I come in contact with today. Jesus, give me your feet and take me to where you want me to be. Jesus, give me your heart so I have a heart for the world that I live in. Every day is a decision to say, I'm going to discipline myself so that I give God glory in my life. Most of us have a front yard with grass. And it may or may not look like this. Mine does not. (laughs) You walk out, you you want that beautiful front yard. No dandelions, no, no bugs, no weeds, just plush grass. And most of us in our homes, we sometimes have to park out on the street, uh, but you walk out the front door and there's a sidewalk that kind of connects you to the driveway. Then you walk down the driveway to the car, get in the car. But sometimes, on occasion, you're in a hurry. And so you open the front door and you walk across the front yard through the grass. Now, what we might want most is a beautiful front yard. But we walk across that front yard enough, instead of taking the path, we're going to wear a trail in that front yard. And so it is with our life. Sometimes we take shortcuts rather than the path that God's designed for us, and we get used to taking that path. It becomes something that feels good. You see, literally our brain has a chemical called dopamine, and when we do something good that feels good, it releases that chemical, and it feels good. And so when you take that shortcut through your yard, a little dopamine, and you do it again and again. But what you have to understand is if you want a beautiful yard, if that's truly what you want, then you need to take the path to the driveway, and then down to the car. 
And you may be sitting there this morning thinking, you know, I've, I've gone through my front yard, metaphorically speaking, enough times that there's now a trail. It's nothing but dirt. But understand this, when you fully surrender to Jesus Christ, when you fall into his purpose, God will make that grass grow back again. Because God is a God of grace and mercy. He's a God of forgiveness and love. And he desperately wants you to be a part of his story. He sent his son to die for you. And so as disciples of Jesus Christ this morning, we're deciding that we're going to want what Jesus Christ wants for us. That we're going to let go of the things that we want and we're going to lean into what God has in store for us. There's going to be purpose behind every step. That everything we do is going to be for His glory. Church, what you and I have to realize and understand is that Christ in me is stronger than any wrong desires in me. Christ in me is stronger than anything else the world could possibly throw at us. And so the question remains, what did you write down this morning? What did you think about? What do you want most? And what do you need to do today to achieve that goal? How can you lean toward that? My guess is this morning there are some of us who have been on the fence about some things. We know we need to go one direction, but we realize it's going to take sacrifice and pain. And my guess is eventually when we don't really do what we're called to do in Jesus Christ, that we're going to have maybe a life of regret somewhere down the way. And so this morning, Paul calls us to lean into the story of God and to experience or, or make sure that we have this disciplined life rather than a life of regret. In Jesus Christ, we have everything that we ever could want in this life. Peace, love, compassion, grace, and mercy. And so this morning, Paul calls each and every one of us to get back on the path that God set out for us. And my hope this morning is that you will feel called to do that very thing. As we sing this next song, the shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And I would encourage you as we sing, maybe there's something going on in your life that you just need some encouragement in. You need a prayer over. Go see one of our shepherd couples and let them pray for you and over you. Today is a day that could absolutely change your world. Jesus Christ is waiting for you to take his hand to get back on the path and be the disciplined believer that he knows you can be. Let's stand and praise his name together.